Hello, good human, and welcome or welcome back to the Sunshine Project podcast. My name is Chloe. I am your host. And if you are looking for a little chit chat about travel and about travel experiences and about why you should travel, then I hope you have listened to the first episode of this pairing because she is a chatty one. Today's episode is not going to be chatty. It's going to be me firing all of my tips and tricks and advice at you that I have gathered over the years. Today's entire episode is a sunshine toolkit and I'm going to be going through everything that I recommend to you if traveling feels daunting to you, if you want some advice, if you want some guidance, if you just want to do it in the best, most fun, most effective way you possibly can. I do try to leave little not an expert disclaimers on everything and usually that's got to do with like, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychologist. This time, I'm not a professional traveller. I haven't even been to that many places yet, but I have planned enough travel through work and through life that I've worked out what works well for me and hopefully these work well for you too. So welcome to the Travel Sunshine Toolkit. There are 14 bits of advice in this toolkit, which looks like a lonely planet guide to travel. Let me flick through it. Okay, so the first item in our sunshine toolkit is actually a lonely planet book. There's a book that the lonely planet puts out called the travel book, and it is a trip through every country in the world. I said this to someone once, and they were like, mm, "But every country?" And I was like, "Yeah, that it's what it says on the cover." And they were like, "Oh, but what about Turks and Caicos?" And I was like, "Yes, that that is one of the every countries that's in here." So essentially, this book—it's a huge coffee table book. It's actually quite affordable considering the size that it is, but it takes you through a brief description of every single country in the world, what there is to do there, what there is to see, interesting cultural things, things that you can't miss, what time of year you should go, different bits of content you can consume from books to music to food so that you can really feel enveloped in that country even if you're sitting on your lounge at home. And it is my number one port of call when it comes to planning a trip or even planning to plan a trip. The travel book is such a good investment. It is so inspiring. It's so helpful. And it's a really good jumping off point. And also the pictures are beautiful. And also it really does make you feel like you're traveling even when you're not. Kind of off the back of that tip, there are another couple of the Lonely Planet books I also recommend. I have bought a bunch of the, you know, those really in-depth little books. They're blue and it'll be like Italy or India or more specifically, you know, London, countries, cities, whatever it is. Those are really good if you like to get your information that way. I find myself not referring to them very often. Instead, for your inspiration, I do recommend, on top of the travel book, The Lonely Planet's Where to Go When. So you can reverse engineer it. You can be like, okay, I've got some time off in May. Here are 15 places that The Lonely Planet recommends in May, and here's why. Or I recently thought I really want to go to Japan during cherry blossom season, so I flicked through the book and found when that was, and that's when I'm going to go. 
There's another book by the Lonely Planet called Ultimate Travel List, also brilliant, spectacular, wonderful, really interesting. It's basically like a bucket list. I think it's 500 different places or things they recommend that you see around the world. And again, beautiful photography, just great inspiration to give you that little nudge. Stepping away from printed media, I also recommend the travel subreddits. So on Reddit, there's r slash travel, and then you can find more specific subreddits for particular places you want to go. So maybe r slash Japan travel. Also, when you're trying to figure out where you want to go, I do recommend having a flick through TikTok or Instagram. There's lots of content out there. When you think about like Instagram and travel, you probably think really highly curated shots and experiences that are maybe not exactly what you want to do, but there is so much out there now. I cannot recommend getting personal recommendations highly enough. And if you can get them online where they're backed up by other people and there's photos or videos, it just makes it all a lot easier. The second thing you've got to think about is the timing of your trip. Obviously, we touched on this with where to go when, but if there's something that you want to do or an experience that you want to have, it is actually really important to make sure that the timing of the universe allows for that. For example, if you do not live in Australia and you would like to come to Australia because you would like to see our beautiful beaches and you're thinking that you might do South Australia and Victoria in June, July, August... You are going to be freezing your little toes off. January, February, March are my picks for visiting South Australia. You're going to have a completely different experience coming at that time of year rather than in six months time. The timing has to align. It has to work out. It will make or break your trip. So once you work out where you want to go, the next item in our Sunshine Toolkit is to work out what the must-dos are. What are your bucket list items? So that might look like specific places for our upcoming Japan trip. I would really like to go to Nara, which is a deer park. I would like to see some deer. I'd really like to go to Disneyland because I've never been anywhere like that before. But I also would like to do some cultural things, some historical things. I would like to eat lots of food. I would like to do some e-bike riding because apparently it's quite easy and very fun. And so if you write your little bucket list down, you can sort of cross-reference places that you want to go to specifically with things you want to experience. You can see how those things line up together. You can see what other places you might need to add on to your itinerary to make sure you loop them in. I do recommend not just focusing on the places you want to go, but the experiences you want to have and then working out, yeah, how you can make that happen. From there, we are going to jump back onto the internet. I love, once I figured out exactly where I'm going, so for our Italy trip last year, that looked like, okay, we're going to Cinque Terre, we're staying in Rio Maggiore, and then I would look up specifically the town that we're staying in or the region that we're staying in and see what TikToks people have made about what we should do in that area. That's how we found the pesto making class. That was just the best experience ever. I'm not going to go on about it again, but it was very good. 
was by seeing quite a few people really highly recommend it. So I love TikTok specifically because people will list the different things that you might like to do. It's engaging, it's informative, they're easy to watch. And again, you can see, you know, if an experience comes up for one person that looks amazing to you and tailored to you and exactly like what you would want to do, or you can see if things keep coming up again and again and again, and they might be worth looking into. And TikTok is kind of like word of mouth on steroids. So yeah, it's just like if everyone you know had traveled to this place and was recommending you the same thing. So that is our prep work. Let's flip over a page and see what it looks like when we're there, what we need to organize practically. The thing that I really recommend you get on top of before anything else and, you know, just to make sure that you're going to be okay the whole time is working out your money situation and working out your connectivity. For me, that looks like not really carrying much cash. I don't carry much cash when I'm overseas because I find it quite stressful and I lose money. Like physically, I drop money quite often. I uh, it's I don't even want to say it's a habit. It just is pinched away from me. I don't know. Or I'm disorganized and slack. Or maybe a bit of both. But I do just like to make sure that I can use my card, whether that is my debit card or my credit card while I'm overseas. I like to vaguely check out what fees that's going to cost just to make sure I'm not going to be paying like $10 every time I use it. I don't tend to get a card specifically for travel. I have found that my debit card or my credit card tends to work most of the time when I'm there. And then I like to carry just maybe like $100 cash on me at all times, but you'll be surprised how much you don't need to use it in most places in the 2020s. And when I say connectivity, I essentially mean being able to call people, text people, receive calls, receive texts. Sounds like something you wouldn't need to do, but if you're planning on getting around via Uber or you need any apps anywhere while you're over there, or you need to access money from a different account, quite often they will require verification through your phone number. So I do recommend, if you can, just using your current phone plan overseas. I use Telstra. It costs $10 a day, which does definitely add up. It is quite expensive, but it really works for me when I am overseas. Something I want to let you know, if you are very specifically in the same situation that I was in last year, is that I learned your one gigabyte of data that I got a day for that $10 rolls over at the same time every day. I assumed for some reason it rolled over at midnight. I assumed that by the time we caught an early train the next morning, I would be good to go and I would have access to the internet. I did not. We were completely disconnected in the heart of Milan and a little bit panicky. But I do recommend having access to the internet while you're away as well. And I know that some people will say, you know, that's ridiculous. I don't want to be on my phone the whole time. That's okay. You don't have to be. I, once I learned that I was burning through my data really quickly, I actually turned the data off on 90% of my apps and only left like Google Maps and a few other ones on. You don't need to scroll on TikTok. You don't need to scroll on Instagram. But by having access to mobile data, it means you are not going to feel tethered to the Wi-Fi at your hotel or your accommodation 
that is a huge one. There's nothing worse than being away and feeling like you need to get back to your accommodation to check your emails or check your calls. Like it's so unnecessary. And also so that you can access maps and things like that. And you can do that offline. You can download offline maps, but it's mostly the tethering thing. I recommend having access to a little bit of mobile data while you're away. And I recommend having a phone number that is your own and taking it with you if possible. As a small aside here, and this is purely anecdotal, I recommend if you can not work while you're away, I really recommend doing it. Obviously, if you're working from home and you're like, I would rather work from home in Queensland, lovely, love that for you. It's not going to feel like a holiday. I can tell you that much. I have worked to varying degrees through the last sort of 10 years as a small business owner while I've been away. And there are trips that I barely remember because I was so stressed out by things that were so inconsequential six or seven years later. And I needed the money at the time. And I hear that and I feel that. But if you are going to work while you're away, I would probably set really good boundaries around when you do that. Maybe it's in the morning, maybe it's a pre-scheduled time every day, especially if you're traveling with someone else so that you can pre-arrange, pre-schedule, they can do other things while you do this. You do not want working to eat up your trip. Okay, this one is less a cautionary tale and more the thing that I think I recommend the most out of anything. And we only started doing this last year. We only started doing this in Italy and then we did it in Ireland as well. It is to do some sort of tour or some sort of experience on the first day when you arrive in a new place. At the bare minimum, Every time I go overseas now, on the first day we arrive in the country, I will be booking a tour. I book tours through Airbnb experiences for a number of reasons. They're not massive group sizes. They feel quite intimate. It's really clear what you're going to get. You can read really thorough reviews. They're often quite affordable. Anyway, when we were in Milan, we booked a food and history tour with a local guide. Not only was that amazing because we saw things we wouldn't have seen otherwise, we ate delicious local food, we got a real rinse of the history. It was also so, so helpful for placing us in the country and the culture and the experience that we were about to have. We learned about local customs, we learned about local etiquette, We avoided so many awkward conversations for the next week and a half because we had someone that lived in Milan, lived in Italy, tell us how they did things, what to expect, tell us where to find things, where we could get my grandma a SIM card from, where we could get cheap accommodation back to the airport that was really reliable. A tour on the first day when you arrive somewhere, I feel is actually an investment. It's an investment in the rest of your trip. It's an investment in knowing the place that you are. And it's so much fun. If you do, when we go to Japan, I've decided we're going to do a tour where we spend 10 hours with a tour guide and we see 15 different things, which sounds massive and exhausting. But then it's like, I feel like we're just going to have so much more of a grasp on Tokyo, on Japan, on the customs and the culture and the etiquette, on the language, on what's expected from us. 
on how to be good tourists. And we'll see 15 different places quite briefly and we can always return in the next two weeks or while we're there if there's anywhere that we loved. On the back of that, I also recommend actually Airbnb experiences specifically. Like I really like the experiences tab in the Airbnb app. It hasn't really taken off in Australia so much yet, but Europe, Asia, brilliant. I recommend doing Airbnb experiences for like cooking classes, which is something else I always like to do overseas is a cooking class because again, delicious, interesting, creative. Or if you're in any situation that you might feel uncomfortable in otherwise, if you are going to a memorial site and you would like to really respect the history, but you don't know where to start, you could do a tour. If you would like to, on the opposite end of the scale, go out one night and drink at different bars, you could go on a tour and make sure that then you're with someone who knows the area, who knows what's safe, who knows what's not safe, who can give you guidance and who can make you feel a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more at home in a very unfamiliar environment. The next thing on my list is to schedule in rest days. These don't mean that you have to like rot in the hotel bed. The rest days can just look like slower paced days. It can be so tempting to go overseas and just stack every day with things to do. And of course, like that's so much fun. And if you feel up for it, that's great. But it's not only your physical health that is going to start to wear down if you are just go, go, go. It is, and I would say even more so, your mental health that you need to take care of. This is especially important if you're traveling in a group. I feel like if you're traveling with, you know, just one other person, maybe a partner, maybe a friend, it's a little bit easier to communicate when you need some downtime. But if you are traveling with extended family or immediate family or a group of friends, making sure that you have time and space away either by yourself or with one other person, you don't have to mask, you don't have to panic, you don't have to compromise, you can just breathe. That might look like taking a night, staying away somewhere else. That might look like having some physical rest days where you just go to a spa or sit by the pool or give that beautiful brain and that brilliant body of yours a break, please. Or it will do it for you. And it might be while you're away, which would be really disappointing, or it might be when you get home and feeling sad when you get home from a trip, feeling sort of a come down, a travel come down is so real. And it's only going to be worse if you have not taken a beat while you're there. And then you are physically and mentally done the second you get home. My next recommendation is around getting a credit card. Again, not financial advice. I don't want to say you should get a credit card, but I will say that when we did the renovation on Juniper Grove, I got a credit card that had really good travel perks. And then I built up lots of points just by buying all of the things that I needed for the renovation on the credit card because it's an expensive project. I was going to spend the money anyway, and it banked up and it banked up and it banked up and it really helped pay mostly for flights when we went away last time. Everyone is different. I don't want to send you spiraling into debt, but if you do feel like you're quite responsible with your money or you do feel like you've got a big project like a wedding or a renovation or anything else large coming up that you could pay for on your credit card, it worked really well for me. 
And on the back of that recommendation is we used, I used my credit card points to upgrade Patrick and I to business class on one flight. One flight during our Europe trip, of which we took several, and it was the flight from Dublin to Doha. So on the way home, we went Dublin, Doha, Doha, Adelaide. Look, was it one of the best experiences of my life? Yes. It was so incredibly bougie. I've never been so comfortable. I've never felt so taken care of. And like, I'm very lucky in my work, especially when I do travel and tourism through my work, I am beautifully taken care of. Like it is just ridiculous. I am not deserving. However, flying in business class on an international flight was just a whole different experience. The food, I was like, I've never eaten this well in my life. You can recline your chair, you have a little face mask, unlimited alcohol, which is not normally my thing, but like it was unlimited. It was amazing. If I had my time, would I do it again? Probably not. Because when I tell you that we went back to economy on the way from Doha to Adelaide, I have never been so miserable in my entire life. Like flying is just something that generally sucks a bit, right? Whether you have a phobia of flying, whether you're just uncomfortable, whether you're bored, love that we can sort through our phone photo album as we fly and do funny little things like that. But the fall from grace was insane. I remember trying to sleep. It was an overnight flight. And every time I woke up, we were sitting in a front row seat next to the toilet. So people kept accidentally like kicking my legs and stuff. And I had nowhere to put my head. And I just kept thinking every time I woke up, I am in hell. And I know how privileged that sounds. But when you are so sleep deprived and you have suddenly realized that if you're really rich, you don't have to have that experience. Like it's okay if you've never been in business or you've never been on a fancy flight because you're like, oh yeah, this sucks for everyone. Guess what? It doesn't. People are lying down up the front there. They are horizontal, just fully relaxing. Anyway, so if you get the chance to go on a business flight, look, probably take it because it's amazing, but just remember, it's a special little treat for most of us. My third to last piece of advice in this Sunshine Toolkit is to learn some words. No one's saying you have to be fluent. No one's saying you need to stop listening to The Sunshine Project and instead pick up a language podcast, although very cool if you do. No one's saying you need to be yelled at by the Duolingo owl, although Duolingo is a great app. But I do recommend just a couple of words, just like, excuse me, please, thank you, you know, like the most basic words, especially mannersy words, not only is it going to make your trip easier and your life easier, it's also just a nicer way to interact with the world. It's like the tiniest bit of effort and it will make you feel more immersed while you're there as well, especially when people smile at you or beam at you or say thank you in return because they can tell that your stumbly, fumbly little pronunciation of a very basic word to them is an effort and it's a nice effort to make. My second to last tip is just to know, and I don't want to be doom and gloom about this because we can prepare for it, 
to know that there's a chance that you will be a little bit financially hungover on your return from the trip. Patrick and I got back from Europe and we were like, oh my God, this is actually fine. What were we talking about? I would say in about three to four pay cycles time after you've been away when you are not getting paid. And this is obviously different if you have a full-time job and you have holiday pay or annual leave or like all that stuff. I can't even imagine. I've never had it, but it seems like a vibe. If you are going to be without an income while you're away, just prepare, just make sure that you have some savings left when you get back and try to adjust your lifestyle accordingly just for a couple of weeks while you course correct. Because it's not nice to feel even a little bit of regret about an amazing experience because of capitalism. So yeah, I would have like maybe a month's worth of really basic expenses. I'm talking your rent or your mortgage and a bill or two stashed away in savings so that it's not going to hit you the moment that you return. And my last bit of advice is about advice itself. Now, I mentioned at the start of Monday's episode that like seeing people go through 852 unsorted photos of their trip can be a little bit overwhelming. But if you're going somewhere and someone gets really excited and they say to you, oh my God, I've got some advice, please listen to it. Please take it in. You don't have to do it. They're not going to come on the trip and spy on you through binoculars and make sure that you're going to that restaurant they recommended or you're having that experience they recommended. But firstly, again, word of mouth is the best way to go. It is how you're going to have the best experiences. It's not going to feel overhyped because it's just like one dude that told you that. And also they are sharing that with you because they want you to have a good time and because they think it will enrich your trip and enrich your life and they probably wish someone told them that or they're glad someone told them that. So if you get advice, I would actually really recommend jotting it down, writing it down, saving it for later. You never know when you're going to be somewhere and you don't have any dinner plans and you feel overwhelmed about where to go and then you remember that your auntie's best mate gave you a recommendation and all of a sudden you are at the best pasta restaurant you've ever been to in your life. And that, my love, is the Travel Sunshine Toolkit. So let's go through those again. We have the Lonely Planets Travel Book. We have Being Careful of Your Timing, Working Out Your Bucket List Items, Going on TikTok for Your Must-Dos, Working Out Your Money Situation, Working Out Your Connectivity Situation, Doing a Tour the First Time You're There, Doing More Tours or Classes, Especially If You're Uncomfortable, Booking in Rest Days, Maybe Getting a Credit Card, maybe accepting business class if it comes to you, learning a couple of words, avoiding the financial hangover, and taking advice at face value. I did promise that there was a return of our good news this week, so the last little stretch, let me give you three pieces of lovely news I have read recently. Our first lovely bit of news is that Amazonian deforestation has fallen more than 20 percent to its lowest levels in five years. So deforestation in Brazil's Amazon dropped by 22.3% in the 12 months through to last July, which is so much progress. It marks Brazil's return to the climate agenda, which is very exciting. And the current president of Brazil has committed and pledged to reach zero deforestation by 2030. Our second bit of good news today is that there is a cancer vaccine that has minimal side effects and it is nearing its phase three clinical trial. 
So Dr. Thomas Wagner, who is founder of the biotech company and the cancer researcher who has made it his life's mission to develop this vaccine, said, people used to ask me the question, when will there be a cure for cancer? And I've been doing this for 60 years and I could never answer that question until recently, until the last three or four or five years. So this really promising vaccine looks to work more effectively than things like chemotherapy and radiotherapy. It minimizes to almost nothing the side effects of treatment. And when administered to people with stage four melanoma, disease-free survival was about 68% compared to 0% for the people who received the placebo. So they are some amazing, promising results. And our last bit of good news for this week's good news section is that the African elephant population has stabilised in the southern heartlands. So this research has been published in Science Advances and used 713 population surveys from 103 protected areas in Tanzania. That covers 70% of savannah elephants in Africa, which is about 290,000 of them. And what's been found is that populations have grown at 0.16% a year for the past quarter of the century, which means that conservation has halted the decline of elephants in southern Africa over the last 25 years. So that's Amazonian deforestation 20% down, a very promising cancer vaccine, and the African elephant population stabilised in southern Africa. And if that's not good news... If they're not some reasons that it's nice to be alive, then I don't know what is. Thank you for listening, good human. I am so grateful for you. If you have not subscribed to this podcast, please do that. Also, if you're listening to this right now, which you are because you can hear my voice, I would love for you to take a photo of whatever you're doing. Think of it like a Be Real, but the Sunshine Project themed. Take a photo of what you're doing, upload it to your Instagram story and tag the Sunshine Project on Instagram. I'll reshare it. I want to see what you're doing. I want the world to see what you're doing while you're soaking in all of this. Okay, I'll speak to you soon. Bye. This podcast was recorded and edited on Ghana land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.